0: Hey everyone and welcome to mind body Grains clean beauty school i'm your host beauty director alexandra engler today we're going to be talking about a subject that i am sure you may have thought we would have never covered here plastic surgery so plastic surgery is on the rise data released by the american society of plastic surgeons shows that there were nearly a quarter million more cosmetic procedures performed in 2018 than the previous year And in general, the number of procedures and minimally invasive work has risen steadily over the past five years. Not only that, but the interest in plastic surgery boomed in the pandemic, largely thanks to things like Zoom dysmorphia and virtual meetings. Certainly, it's a topic that people are interested in across the board. Yes, that probably includes many people who are more wellness-minded too. But we're not just talking about general plastic surgery here. We're talking about a very niche subset termed holistic plastic surgery. Now, obviously, this isn't an official term, but it's more used to describe when plastic surgery is performed through the lens of alternative medicine. You know, it's things like a less is more aesthetic, trying to be as preventative with lifestyle habits as possible, incorporating supplements, things like that. And to do so, I'm talking with Tony Young. A board certified plastic surgeon who is deemed America's holistic plastic surgeon. He has quite the following on TikTok and has garnered praise for his approach with cosmetics and aesthetics. I will allow him to explain in more detail the nuances of his practice. So, without further ado, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, Alex. I am so excited to have this conversation. But before we dive in, I just want to hear more about your story.
1: Yeah. So I'm a board certified plastic surgeon. I've been in private practice for 17 years and I went through all the traditional training. I did four years of medical school. I did three years of general surgery residency training, two years of plastic surgery residency, and then a year fellowship in Beverly Hills with a top name cosmetic plastic surgeon out there. And then I started my private practice in the Detroit area about 17 years ago.
0: So what brought you into holistic plastic surgery specifically? And, you know, what was your mindset going into uh, this very unique and very you branch of plastic surgery? Was there a moment in your career that you realized that you wanted to craft this niche specifically?
1: Yeah, I think there are a couple of things that really played a huge part. I mean, the first part was gosh, probably six or seven years ago, I started discovering alternative and holistic medicine. I mean, I went through traditional medical training and residency and all of that. And it. I came to discovery through some colleagues of mine, some friends that I that I made who are in the holistic space, that there's this whole branch of healthcare and medicine that I had no idea about. Sure. And it started with nutrition. And I came to this realization that, Holy crap, like nutrition really is the key to health. I mean, the major key to health is nutrition. And we learned almost nothing about it through medical school. So, this got me on the path towards learning more and more about holistic and alternative medicine. I've written a few articles for Mind Body Green. And then, what happened is, is several years ago, as I was kind of in this and, and learning more and, and figuring out what I didn't know, I thought that i'd hit the pinnacle of success as a surgeon now when you look at surgery surgeons look at success as being the biggest operation so like in residency the young residents would do the smaller operations and then you would hope someday to get to that higher level where you could do like the eight to ten hour operations so like the more invasive the bigger operation technically the better and alex when i started my practice I always I kind of focused on it, looked like looked at it like that. And I would count how many facelifts do I have coming up over the next, you know, couple months. And the more that I would have, the bigger operations, the more successful I would feel. And then I had a patient who had a facelift who had a horrible complication. And that really got me into thinking, like, am I really doing the right thing for myself? And this combined with what I was learning more about holistic medicine got me to realize that the goal is not to bring a patient to the operating room which is a goal of most surgeons the goal should be the opposite is how can i keep them out of my operating room and if i can keep them out of my or and get them happy with how they look then i've definitely done my job
0: so let's lay the groundwork what is holistic plastic surgery what does that mean to you you know i think it's a phrase that probably trips people up because it seems you know, almost in Congress with each other. It's like but an
1: oxymoron.
0: <laughs> yeah. But obviously you are practicing it in a way that doesn't feel like an oxymoron or it doesn't feel in Congress with each other. So can we, can you just explain what it means to you and what that looks like in your practice?
1: Yeah. Holistic plastic surgery is this idea that in plastic surgery, you look at the body as a whole picture and you want to start with the basics and the basics aren't Botox or facelifts or breast implants. The basics are lifestyle, nutrition, it's exercise, it's reducing the environmental toxins that you're exposed to, and it really is looking at overall youth and beauty in that more holistic manner. Now, it doesn't exclude cosmetic treatments. I mean, I do cosmetic treatments. I operate three days a week most weeks, but it uses those types of things as a last resort. And so I explain to my patients, almost like it's like you're building a house, and surgery is like the attic. Okay. It's like that upper, that upper suite way at the top of the house. You don't start with that. You start with the foundation and the foundation is the right diet is skincare. It is once again, your environment and your activity and all of that.
0: You know, I think the idea of plastic surgery is so inherently tied to whatever meets the standard of beauty at that moment. So, you know, when you think of more traditional Plastic surgery, what trends do we see right now? What are people getting? And you know, how is that different than what you're doing? What what is a traditional plastic surgeon? What are they doing right now? What are the common things that people are getting? What are they focusing on?
1: Well, one really hot topic in plastic surgery right now, and something that's been very important for me as well, is social media. And if you look at social media and you look at plastic surgeons on social media, what is it? It's all before and after photos. It's, Hey, Mm -hmm. look at how bad this person looked before. Now look at how great I made them by putting breast implants in them or by performing this operation. And really that's what you see with, with, I would say 98% of plastic surgery accounts. And that's now what people are learning from, from us. So, you know, once again, there's nothing wrong with having surgery, you know, that's not the kind of the goal of what I look at, but the idea is that how do we, once again, um, educate people on staying out of the OR if we can help it. And, and I think that's the difference is, you know, I've, I'm very fortunate and it's crazy. It blows my mind <laughs> that I've got millions of people following me on these social media channels. And I think part of it is because of what I put out there and the fact that yes, I do surgery and every once in a while you're gonna see a before and after surgery, but it's not glamorizing it necessarily. It is educating and once again, um, trying to encourage people to take their health into their own hands and using surgery as a last resort.
0: Yeah. I mean, just to go off on using surgery as a last resort, what does that mean? What steps do you encourage people to take prior? uh, You know, turning somebody away from surgery, that's probably a hard thing to do as a surgeon. So can you just walk me through um, that process?
1: So, you know, I get a lot of patients out that come to see me and they have money in hand and they say, I want a facelift. And I look at them and let's say they've got a lot of sunspots on their face or they've got a, a lot of fine lines. You know, the first thing I try to encourage them to do is to take care of their skin. You know, I can tell if somebody, when somebody literally walks in my door if they're a smoker or not just by looking at their skin. And so those are the first things that I try to encourage them is, okay, you know, before you plunk down the money and you undergo a three and a half hour operation, you know, let's get you off the cigarettes. Let's get you taking better care of your skin, you know, and people who come in and they say they want liposuction, let's get you hooked up with somebody who can help you with managing your weight. And so the idea really is that there are certain conditions where surgery is the only real option. You know, if you've got, if you've lost a hundred pounds and you've got skin hanging from your tummy, there's no supplement or cream or even laser that's going to take care of that. Really, you have to consider surgery if you want to get rid of it. But there's so many other things that you can do to help yourself feel better uh, and feel better about your appearance that doesn't require going under the knife. And and that's why I really look at surgery as a valid option, but an option we have to consider as that last resort. Because you know what, Alex, if you have plastic surgery, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? You can die.
0: So when you're talking with people, how, how are they receptive to this? Do you find that people... I get, from my perspective, if I'm going in and I want something done, and my doctor is, you know, telling me all these things that uh, <laughs> I should do instead, that uh, I imagine that that might be jarring for patients. How do patients react? I'm just so curious. Um, you know, I turn down about one in every
1: five people that come to see me. And okay. there are a number of different reasons why. Sometimes, just like I mentioned earlier, there's a better option for them that's a safer, healthier option. Other times people come in and their their expectations are unrealistic. You know, they want to look like a cartoon character. You know, they want to look like those people that they see on The Real Housewives. You know, and it's just, it's not my style. It's not what I believe in and what I think is the right thing. And so, Yes, it can be very difficult. You know, interestingly enough, it's so much easier and sometimes to say yes as a surgeon as to say no. You know, it takes me a lot more energy for me to sit there for a half hour sometimes trying to convince somebody that surgery is a bad option for them than for me to say, okay, fine, I'll do it. You know, go pay the money and let's schedule you, you know. But in the end, really what it comes down to is, is that I always try to look at, okay, what's in the best interest of my patient? Even though they may disagree with me, what's in the best interest of their health and their well-being and I always go th- go to that and honestly sometimes it backfires. I've had patients prospective patients go online and bash me because I have turned them down for surgery because they've waited a year to come see me and then they I say no and they go online and say I waited a year to see this guy and he turned me down. Who does he think he is? You know, I need this operation and they give me one star or zero stars and they tell people don't come see me. <laughs>
0: I mean, just for comparison's sake, what, so you say you turn down one in five, what would a more traditional plastic surgeon, what would be their record? Do traditional plastic surgeons turn down people? I'm, I guess I, I you know, I've, I've never gone into a cons- consultation, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what, what I would be different, the, you know?
1: Yeah. I hope that's the case. I guess I can't there, I don't know of any studies that actually have ever looked at that. So I can't really speak for other people. And I think that the vast, vast majority of plastic surgeons are very ethical, you know, doctors, and they're doing it for the same reason. I think though that there are, there is a thought, and you know, as surgeons, <laughs> we're we're arrogant. You know, <laughs> we are. I am, and I I try not to be, but just as a as a surgeon, you're kind of groomed to be this arrogant jerk. And so, because of that, there's this idea that if you don't do it, then that person, that pay prospective patient, is going to go to Doctor Joe Schmo down the street. And and that doctor is going to do the surgery, and because you're such a better surgeon than that doctor, you might as well do it to save this patient a complication. And it's this idea that that if I don't do it, somebody else will, and because I'm the superior doctor, then I should just go ahead and do it, even though maybe I don't think it's really needed. And it's it's a horrible way to think.
0: Yeah, I, giving somebody a, you know a surgery, changing their face or changing you know their body, it's something, and and you yourself don't necessarily agree that they should be making those changes. I mean, that must be quite challenging for people because, you know, yeah. you're doing what the patient wants, but you're not necessarily doing what you think is best. And, you know, as a doctor, that must be hard.
1: Yeah. And, and in general, I, you know, that's something, if I don't think it's best for the patient, I'll just tell them no. Sure. Um, but there are those kind of gray areas that we do see, where let's say somebody wants a little filler in their cheeks And they are insistent that you have to do it, you have to do it. And, you know, I waited four months for this appointment, and I've been sitting in your office for a half hour, and now you're not going to do this for me? And that does create a very difficult scenario sometimes. And part of it, you know, there's a plastic surgeon saying that we're psychiatrists with knives. And, (laughs) And to an extent, I think that's very, very true. And so part of it, you know, part of, I think, the art of plastic surgery is is talking with people and trying to convince them of what you believe if you feel that's in their best interest. And sometimes, you know, you disagree. And like I said, people leave the office and they're mad and they bash me for it. But for me, you know what, I got to sleep at night. And I wouldn't, like the worst thing that can happen is you do a procedure that you don't believe in, you don't believe is the right thing. And then that patient's unhappy with the result, or they get a complication. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what I always want to avoid. Sure. I'd rather have somebody mad at me who I haven't treated than somebody mad at me who I have treated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, fair point. What you said, you know, about being a therapist with knives is so interesting. I was actually having this conversation the other day about, you know, so much of the work that we do in beauty is we're treating an internal problem with external means, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly, there's something that is we feel unhappy about ourselves. We feel down about ourselves, for whatever reason, and we are treating that with external products. We're treating that mm-hmm. with, and that's a hard thing to kind of reckon with, you know. As somebody who is deeply in the beauty industry, and yeah. you know, does focus so much on products and what you're doing to to your appearance, how do how do you reckon with that? You know, it's do is know, it something that you think about. I
1: think you know there is something you know. It's, it's this thought. I've got a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist, and he told me one day. It's kind of an interesting thought. He said. You know how you feel like when you go to the mall and you buy a shirt and you put and you get this shirt that you really like and you put it on and you go out with your friends and you just feel better wearing that shirt. Like you feel more confident. You you have this and, and it's just a shirt. You
0: know. It's, yeah.
1: It's not like your friends look at you any differently, but it's this feeling that you get where you feel better with it. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we all want to feel good. There's this dopamine rush that you can get from it. And people get that same rush when they have a, you know, when they apply makeup sometimes, they get the same thing when they've been using skincare and they see some of the spots go away and their skin looks nicer. And yes, you can get that same type of dopamine rush if you have Botox or filler or even plastic surgery. So I think that really, you know, what we need to do, I think, is we have to look at this from a realistic perspective, but also from one that. I guess looks at it from a uh perspective where we realize what we're doing and we want to make sure that we don't go overboard with it you know sure. and so I think that there's there is kind of a happy medium there somewhere and that's where I'm trying to strike with it you know I think it's unrealistic for somebody to say oh well if you have botox you're fake and you know and and you're not you know interested truly in health Because honestly, Alex, I know dozens and dozens of massive healthcare, holistic healthcare influencers that get Botox and filler, you know, it's just, it is part of our society. But I think we also have to look at it as just like what you said, is that beauty really is skin deep and there's so many more important things about it. And really when people say, ask me, you know, what is true beauty? True beauty is really is good health you know that's mm-hmm. for me where beauty starts because if you're unhealthy that shows in so many other aspects and it's also you know it's it's more than just your physical health but your mental health I think as well
0: mhm absolutely you you mentioned something in your answer that I I wanted to touch on just because I think we're seeing it so much nowadays is you know kind of like losing perspective of of the work that you're getting done. I think that this is probably the problem that we see in a lot of the reality TV stars out there yeah. or not not to bash anybody or not to imply that you know they're they're doing it wrong, but you know I do think that there is clearly a trend of people getting work done and then losing sight of perspective on what they should look like. What is your thoughts on that? Cuz it, it to me it does seem like a very real and very scary trend. Yes. No, definitely.
1: So I think that there's a very simple way that I look at it. If you're undergoing a procedure to look, quote unquote, better, then that's one thing. If you're undergoing a procedure to look, quote unquote, different, that's another thing. And so for me as a physician, that's how I kind of look at it is, is when I look at my patient, if I say, okay, if I do this procedure, is this patient going to look quote unquote better? You know, is it going to resolve, you know, a cosmetic issue that they may have that I can relate to as well that I can see. And if that's the case, then I would consider doing the procedure. However, there are people who come in where doing a procedure isn't going to necessarily make them look better. They're just going to look different. In that case, is it really worthwhile to put them through the potential risks and the costs of doing something like that? Now, there's something that we you know, know of called bi dysmorphia. And bi dysmorphia is a psychiatric condition where people, what they see, these people who have bi dysmorphia, what they see in the mirror is different than what everybody else sees. And so you and I may see a, pa- a person who has a little bump on their nose and we say, yeah, it's just a little bump. It's nothing. That to that person with bi dysmorphia, that bump is the size of Mount Rushmore, and they can't understand why other people don't see how horrible that bump makes them look. It's a very, very difficult condition for for people to deal with. It's estimated about 1% of the population suffers from body dysmorphia and upwards of 10% or more of plastic surgery patients have it.
0: Research indicates that anywhere from 0.7% to 2.4% of the population suffers from body dysmorphia. It usually develops in your teens and can be a lifelong condition. It also affects men and women almost equally, even if we tend to associate it with women more. And it can have real effects on your life. Most people diagnosed with it also have anxiety, depression, and thoughts of self-harm.
1: And the worst part about dysmorphia, Alex, is the in- insight into dysmorphia is very poor, meaning that people who have it don't believe that they have it and, and, and are oftentimes unable to come to grips with the knowledge that that may be something that they are dealing with.
0: Follow-up question to that. How how do you get people to deal with body dysmorphia? Um, is that something that you like? If a patient comes in and you see that clearly, this might be something that they have. Do you? Is there a recommendation that you make? Do you talk to them about it, or is that like outside of your purview?
1: No, I definitely do. But but because people with body dysmorphia have such poor insight, it makes it a very very difficult discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, so it would be akin to me, you know, to you coming to see me and you saying, "Hey, Doctor, you the Earth is flat." And me trying to convince you that it's, I'm sorry, the opposite. Like you come in saying the earth is round. I believe it's flat. And you trying, you know, me trying to convince you, no, Alex, the earth is flat. Well, there's (laughs) nothing that I'm going to say to you that's going to convince you that the earth is flat. Okay. And it's kind of the conundrum that we have when we see people with bi dysmorphia. For them, that bump on their nose, they see it like you or I would see that the earth is round or that the sky is blue. You know, it'd be like trying to convince them, no, the sky is not blue. It's, it's gray or it's purple or something, you know, it's just, it's not their reality. So yes, I do have these discussions. They're often very difficult. And honestly, people are usually not open to saying, can I refer you to a psychiatrist? You know, it's that, that often gets people very angry. And so the first step, and what I really try to do, because I know that if I just go jump to, you need to see a psychiatrist, let me refer you to somebody. That's not going to work. So the first thing I do is I try to convince them that surgery is not a good option for them, you know, and can cause them to go into a, uh, what we call a, a vicious cycle of operation after operation after operation that doesn't make them happy because these operations are trying to correct a quote unquote deformity that was never there in the first place. So I really spent my energy, not necessarily trying to convince them to go see a therapist, but to try to convince them that, that surgery is, is likely to be a bad option for them.
0: Sure. So for the actual surgery part, how is your practice different? How is holistic plastic surgery different? Is it, you know, only doing modifications in moderation, you know, nothing too extreme? Like what, when you actually, you know, when the person actually goes under the knife, what, what are the differences?
1: So there's a few things here. The first thing is that all of my patients who undergo major surgeries, uh, I put on a nutritional supplement protocol. So what I did several years ago is I looked at the literature in the surgery literature, as well as the literature in nutrition and alternative medicine. And I created a pre- and post-operative protocol to, to help people hopefully to heal faster, to have less inflammation, less discomfort, that type
0: of thing from surgery. Protocols, if you don't mind me asking.
1: Yeah. So all the patients, we start off by putting them on arginine, L-arginine. And this is a type of amino acid that has been shown in the surgery literature to help people heal faster from wounds. I also put them on glutamine and other essential amino acids as well. We put them on a probiotic to help with their microbiome. I put them on a special multivitamin that helps to support the collagen of their skin. And then trying to think what else is part of it. Those are some of the main parts of it. And then usually about two weeks afterwards, I put them on fish oil. And this is a way to help reduce inflammation as well.
0: So he mentioned L-arginine. I thought this was interesting, so I did a bit more digging. And yes, the amino acid has been shown to improve wound healing in humans. Additionally, if you combine the phytonutrient with fish oil, like he recommends, it further enhances the recovery ability in surgery or trauma patients.
1: We also add bromelain, which is a uh, enzyme from pineapple, and we add arnica, which also is a supplement that can also help potentially reduce inflammation and and reduce the risk of complications.
0: So you put them on the supplement, you know, this regimen, and then what are the next steps? Like how do how does... So, Are there any other additional steps that people need to prepare before they go into the knife?
1: You know, there are some things that I do that others do as well. So I don't operate on smokers. Sure. I always encourage people to have the surgery when they're at a, a healthy weight. I discourage people from losing a lot of weight prior to surgery or obviously gaining a lot of weight prior to surgery. And then a lot of it is, you know, is the surgery itself. Now, I wouldn't say that my techniques are any different than anybody else's, but there are certain things that I myself do. And really what it is, honestly, it's, it's practicing very cautious surgery So all of my patients get over 40, get cleared by their physician to make sure that they're safe to have surgery. I only operate up to about five and a half to six hours maximum. And I try to discourage people from doing even that. And there are certain operations I just don't do. There are operations that I feel that are unsafe or that have a very high risk of complications that other surgeons will do, but I discourage patients from doing it. I just don't do myself.
0: What are some of those? So the first
1: one is Brazilian butt lift, the BBL operation. And this is basically injections, injections of fat into the buttocks to make the buttocks bigger. This has had a very interesting history because, you know, back in the day, people were using implants, solid silicone implants to make people's buttocks larger, but these implants had their own risk of complications with it moving around and stuff like that. And so BBL, Brazilian butt lift surgery, fat injections to the breast became very, very popular until a study came out showing that the death rate from that operation was 1 in 3,000, which was literally 1 in 3,000 people who undergo a BBL was dying from this operation. Wow. Wow. and when you look at who undergoes bbl surgery we're not talking about 60 year old people who have multiple health issues we're mm-hmm. talking about 20 something year old women often young women of color who are having these operations done now to the credit of plastic surgeons and the plastic surgery societies you know once that once that statistic came out i stopped doing them i said you know i'm not going to risk a patient dying on my operating table to get a bigger butt um And there has been education of board certified plastic surgeons on this operation to help educate them how to do it safely. And more recent studies show that that one in 3000 death rate dropped to one in 15,000, which is still higher than I'd like to be, but more in keeping with some other surgeries like tummy tuck surgeries and stuff. But that's only with properly trained board certified plastic surgeons. There's so many doctors across the country who aren't properly trained board-certified plastic surgeons who are performing BBL surgery. And I would bet that their death rate remains at 1 in 3,000. Are they allowed
0: to do surgery if they're not? Can I just ask that? That seems crazy to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's no law preventing any doctor from performing any operation as long as a patient signs on the dotted line. So I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon, Alex, but if I convinced you that I could perform your hysterectomy for you in my in-office operating room, there's no law preventing me from doing that, even though I am absolutely not trained to do that. And so you can have doctors from ER docs to ophthalmologists to family docs who are performing all these types of surgeries in their offices because it's perfectly legal. Now, hospitals won't allow them to do that. So if I was a, you know, as a plastic surgeon, if I applied to my hospital to perform a hysterectomy or a um, cardiac catheterization, they wouldn't allow me to do it because I'm just not properly trained. But Doctors get around this by doing it in their in-office operating rooms.
0: Wow. I had no idea. And that just that's so scary to know. Classic surgery uh, right
1: now, it's the wild west of medicine. And is it really? Are, oh, I yeah. because in
0: my head it feels like it should be so buttoned up.
1: Not at all. Because oh my God. what's happening is, is that surgeons are getting paid less and less every year for the surgeries that they're doing. And now, and so what they're looking at is like, how do I make more money? And, oh, look, I can take a weekend course on breast augmentation. And then I can put ads out in our local paper or our local glossy magazine and start doing breast augmentations in my office. And that's what people do. And unfortunately, what happens is they get complications and then they come to doctors like me and we do our best to try to fix it.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. Follow-up question to that. How many people come in as you know, how to have you fix previous work.
1: That's a Is huge, that common? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a huge portion wow. of, of my practice. And I don't see, I would bet a lot of highly reputable, you know, well-known plastic surgeons. We do a lot of fix-up jobs. Now that's not to say that I don't get my own complications. You know, I get doctors who say, I don't get a, I don't get complications this. I've never seen that. If you don't get a complication, it's not that you're such a great surgeon. It's that you haven't operated enough because yeah. stuff happens that are, that's outside of our control. But it really is I think the the measure of a surgeon is not necessarily how many happy patients you have, but how do you treat a patient who has a complication or who's unhappy? That's the true measure of a good doctor.
0: Yeah, follow up to that is what do you do if somebody has a complication? Is it just about working them through what's happening?
1: Yeah, I mean sometimes surgically you can fix it, you know, I've seen some crazy stuff in my day of, you know, like I said, a ER doc putting breast implants in somebody and the implant being stuck in the patient's armpit. Um, you see patients who've had liposuction done by car. I had a cardiologist in the area that was performing liposuction and patient coming in with these huge divots all over their body. You just see lots of this type of stuff. And sometimes you can fix it. Sometimes you can't, you know, and that therein lies the difficulty is it's most of the times these operations, your, your best chance of getting the best result is when it's done, you know, properly the first time.
0: Sure. Wow. This is blowing my mind. You know, I don't I don't cover plastic surgery all that much in, in my yeah. in my work at my Body green. It's not something that we necessarily no. discuss too much. I know a lot of other beauty editors do discuss plastic surgery, so I just I, I I don't know any of this. I'm so in the dark about all this and this is I just can't but, believe like, that is the wild west. That is
1: Yeah, I think it's important for people, you know, who are interested in beauty and interested in more holistic approach to realize that there are so many things that you can do short of going under the knife. You know, I do see so many people who think, well, geez, you know, it's hopeless. I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to have surgery. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, improving your diet, getting good, clean skincare can make huge differences. And the other thing, Alice, is there's so many things that we have right now that are non-invasive. You know, we have lasers that can actually melt fat, We've got electro-radiofrequency devices that can reduce excess sweating, you know. We have devices that can lift and enhance the buttocks that are completely non-invasive and completely safe. And that's really the untold story now that's going on in some ways in plastic surgery. And that's part of the whole idea of plastic surgery as a last resort, is that there's so many things now that we can do non-surgically to help people look and feel better about themselves. And those are the things we always want to try to start with.
0: Sure. You know, let's, let's talk about some of these things that you encourage patients to do prior or, you know, as yeah, a, instead of surgery, you've mentioned diet, but you know, what does that, what does diet, a healthy diet look like to you?
1: Well, th- now we're getting into a whole other rabbit hole of what's a good diet.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, we can't answer that <laughs> in, in this specific podcast. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: would, I would start with a with in general a clean diet. So you want to you know eat the rainbow. You want to you know limit the amount of obviously processed type foods that you eat. And really, it's all the stuff that you have covered so well on your podcast with some of your other guests. But I think taking it to the next level, you know, I think that there are certain treatments that I think are very safe. And that can make huge impacts on how people feel about themselves so just for a quick example i think a good bang for the buck for somebody is ipl intense pulse light ipl is like a laser similar but not exactly and this is a a treatment that basically zaps away the dark spots whether you call it an age spot a sun spot or a liver spot they're all different names for the same thing but this is something that we get if we get a lot of sun damage And they don't go away unless you actually treat them. And IPL is a great way. A lot of offices and med spas have IPL. It's a great, great, easy, fairly, you know, very safe way to help just to take off those spots. And that can make a huge difference on how people feel about their skin.
0: Just out of curiosity, are they? Are there any downsides to doing like a laser, like IPL, or any other type of lasers? You
1: know, you can turn it up really high and get a burn from it. Um, sure. So that's where you just want to go to a place that's rectable and 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 all of that. But. Other than that, really IPL I think is great because you're not dealing with chemicals, you know, you're not getting an allergic reaction to it. And that I think is a great option. The other thing that's super popular, I think is a great option too, is microneedling with PRP, platelet-rich
0: plasma. Mm, yeah, I've I done think I that. Love it.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, now you're using your own body's regenerative properties to help rejuvenate itself. Microneedling too, great bang for your buck. You know, when you look at laser treatments, it costs me sometimes one to two hundred thousand dollars to buy a laser for my practice. And so because it's so expensive to buy these, we pass the cost off onto our patients. We have to. Yeah. A microneedling pen may cost me anywhere from three dollars to $7,000. That's much cheaper. Now, you can get great results from microneedling, and you spend a lot less money. And then the other thing are chemical peels. Chemical peels can be very, very inexpensive. And some people look at them now as a little bit more old-fashioned, but they still really work well. So for people who want something that is relatively safe, that is inexpensive... Uh, then then chemical peels can be another good option for them too.
0: How do you feel about people doing um specifically microneedling at home but you know these these like at home
1: yeah treatments. That can get real dangerous. Yeah. So microneedling, you know, I've talked with dermatologists about it and I don't see a lot of the horror stories that they do because you know they usually don't follow up with a plastic surgeon, they follow up with their dermatologist. But yeah, I mean, you could have issues from scarring to infection to worsening of acne. So if you're using one of those, you really want to make sure you discuss it with a dermatologist first. One trend right now that is really dangerous, that's been very popular on social media is called the hyaluron pen. And this I is- actually
0: don't know this. What is this?
1: So the hyaluron pen, basically, it's this device that shoots. And I think it's it's been used for like permanent makeup in the past. But it basically shoots the contents in the device into the skin, utilizing a huge puff of air. And people are putting filler into these. They're buying oh filler God. online. And they're shooting the filler into their lips, utilizing this hyaluron pen. Well, the problem with this is there's so many issues. I mean, the first thing
0: is- I'm, I'm, My mouth is on the floor.
1: Yeah, you should look it up. The problem there's so many things wrong because you don't want to inject anything that you buy online into your body. Period. Uh, because who knows what this really is? You know, the filler that we inject in my office is made of hyaluronic acid. It's purified. I, you know, we buy it, you know, from directly from the manufacturer here in the United States. You don't want to do that. The second thing is, what's the worst thing that can happen if you use something like this? Well, yes, you can get filler haphazardly displaced throughout your lips and look really, really bad from it. But even worse than that is you could you could potentially inject that filler, shoot it into a blood vessel. Anything that that blood vessel, that artery supplies, blood supply to, can literally die. So you can lose parts of your lip if you inject higher than that. Like some people try to inject their nasal labial folds, that crease between the nose and the corner of the mouth. You could theoretically go blind, actually, from something like that. So this is a trend that I really think is important. If people are seeing it online, I've seen TikToks on it and Instagram Reels on it. It's just it's shocking that so many people are doing this.
0: You know, I have to ask you. I know that you're big on TikTok, and I, you know, your videos are so informative. Do you? You must have some sort of love hate relationship with social media because obviously you're getting your good word out there, but you being on it know that there's a lot of bad information out there too. So the, you know,
1: the interesting thing with TikTok is that there is something that that they created that, that hasn't been done before and it's called stitches and duets. So one huge part of TikTok which I think is fun and I and I take part of of it all the time is you as as a professional you do truth or cap videos. So sure. for those of you listeners who don't know what cap means it's a Gen Z term for something that's fake is cap. Yeah. Oh you know you're capping you're lying. Yeah. Um, and so on those videos doctors like myself will then duet video, meaning that we will do a side-by-side video while the other video is playing showing whether we believe that this is real information or fake. So for example, there was a video that went hugely viral of a guy who had a tattoo on his hand. And he said, this is a way that you can get rid of your tattoos. And he puts some salt on the ta- on, the, on his hand. Then he puts, I think it was olive oil on it. And he said, just rub the oil in and, this and the salt into your hand. You do that like three times a day and your tattoo will be gone within like a week or something which is totally not true like you know tattoos are in are in the yeah. deep dermis of the skin the only way that's going to happen is if you literally rub the upper layer of skin off, the deeper layer of skin off and you would be a bloody mess yeah
0: I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I've done like a DIY scrub. That's just that. And my tattoos have not gone away.
1: (laughs) But then you look at the after picture and the tattoo is like majorly faded because he probably put some, some foundation over it or some concealer. (laughs) Yeah. So this is one that went super viral. You know, people are trying this at home. And so this is one that I duetted and I said, Hey, you know what? This is cap. It's so not real. And I explained why. So, so I actually I think that the thing with TikTok it's become very fun because you do see you know dermatologists now duetting hyaluron pen videos saying don't do this. This is something I think that's been hugely helpful because we haven't had that on traditional social media. You know, there's been information that's been put out there that's dangerous information that's false information, and people haven't been called out for it. But now people are. The unfortunate part of it, Alex, though, is that there now is this trend for people to call out holistic health experts so people presenting alternative medicine and saying that that's this is not evidence-based and trying to poo-poo it and that right. therein lies the difficulty you know
0: absolutely I'm I do want to get more into this topic because this is something that I I am growing increasingly frustrated with on social media too it seems that you know now that holistic, beauty and holistic medicine and clean beauty and you know all these mm-hmm. sorts of stuff as they've entered more mainstream media just in general and more people are interested in it i i do feel like we're seeing quite a bit of backlash from quote unquote oh, yeah. traditional you know, dermatologists, traditional plastic surgeons on your end, I'm sure. And then also, you know, more traditional editors on my end. And how do you, how do you deal with that? What is your take? How do you talk to people and how do you try to illuminate what you do and why, what you, why, what you do is valid.
1: It's difficult. And it's going to come more and more to a head ahead in the future. So for example, there was um, one of the biggest social media influencers, Dixie D'Amelio, her sister, Charlie D'Amelio is the number one person on TikTok. She had a video, gosh, maybe a year ago where she was drinking out of a carton of milk. And so I duetted the video basically saying, you know, no, no, you know, milk does not do a body good. Milk is a perfect food if you're a growing calf. And Alex, holy cow, (laughs) uh, forgive the pun, (laughs) coming after me. I had, it was, you know what, who it was? It was fitness influencers Mm. who were coming after me, calling me a clown And they would grab their carton of milk and drink out of it, and say that you know this guy's a clown. You should you lose your license. Milk is good for you. What you know? What do you know? You don't know anything. You're just a plastic surgeon, or you're just a doctor. You don't know anything about nutrition. And it really was. I mean, there was a huge backlash. I have also posted on parabens and skincare products, and oh my gosh, same thing. You know, this huge backlash of people. And so what happens is is that you'll post something like this, and then and then people will tag other influencers like dermatologists and stuff, and then they will then do what your video. Now for me, you know the thing with let's say TikTok is it's a fairly small community. you know I uh, know most of the medical influencers and we're all friends and you know and I'm a nice guy, I don't go after people or anything like that. And so they're, they're, their difficulty is here is their friend of theirs, Tony Yoon, who's a plastic surgeon who just posted on how he doesn't believe that parabens you know are good in your skincare products. And how do they react to it? And so far they have refrained because they're friends of mine, but people I don't know who have gone after me for that type of stuff. And it just, it makes it very difficult. And at some point it's going to come to a head as more of this comes out, but I am a bit cautious. And for me, I really look at each, each social media outlet and certain things I don't put on
0: certain outlets, honestly. Sure. Just to dive into this a little bit more, why do you think that there is such this tension between people like ourselves who do believe in more holistic modalities and, you know, approaches to all this stuff and the, you know, more traditional viewpoints has has that tension always been there? I do feel like it feels yes. so heightened though lately, is it? What's your take?
1: I agree. I feel like it is too and there's, you know, and I'm not a hormone expert, but I know with hormones now that's hitting ahead and there's mm-hmm. been a lot of stuff there. I think that I do think that it's now what's happening is is that in the past before social media was as popular as it is now, they were kind of two separate camps that really didn't mix at all. But now we're kind of thrown into this huge Instagram brew or this huge TikTok brew, and we're all trying to coexist in the same location. And because and, and with, let's say, duets and stitches that are happening, and, and now Instagram is doing that as well, we're starting to be able, we're starting to for, being forced to really interact with each other because our followers are asking us to do that. And so this is going to continue, I think. And and I think on top of it, the issue I think that traditional medicine doesn't understand is that they look at all of alternative medicine as in the same bucket. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that's not the case. You know, so they look at, let's say, a a friend of mine who's a vegan cardiologist and and what his recommendations are, and they equate him to being the same as an energy healer, you know, and they don't understand that there are that there is a huge variety of different types of people who practice alternative medicine but they just lump it all in one bucket cuz they don't understand it. Yeah. You know, and there is this tendency, you know, if I were in the doctor's lounge in my hospital and I said chiropractic, it would be met with jeers and snickers and stuff like that as these doctors are eating their ham sandwiches on white bread and their potato <laughs> chips. Yeah. You know, and and there is this lack of knowledge I think amongst physicians of what they don't know. And there's this threat that they feel from other practitioners who honestly know some stuff better than they do. And, and it's, and it's trying to protect their turf in a, to a way, you know, another thing that I've been seeing and I have good friends of mine where, you know, they, they talk about weight loss and it's all, and they say it's all about calories. It's calories in, calories out. If you want to lose weight, you just have to have a calorie deficit. And it's like, (laughs) like, and they're friends of mine and I'm not going to say anything to them, but it's like, Oh, geez. I just, But that's, it's kind of like they believe what they've been taught and they Mm -hmm. haven't really been taught to question what they've been taught.
0: Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And
1: and there are those handful of physicians that all of a sudden the light comes on in their head and they go, holy cow, holy crap. There's so much I don't know. I have a good friend of mine, Dr. Ken Brown. He's a gastroenterologist. He's in a huge group out in Texas. And um, he joined a group of mine in in the Mindshare Summit with JJ Virgin and he was the same he was where I was you know a couple of years ago when I met him where I was a few years before that and he's like tony there's so much that I'm learning from these alternative health practitioners that is just blowing my mind and and that's what we need more in traditional
0: medicine sure yeah just to question all of this because you know there's Th- th- there's valid reasons that we should be questioning some of this there's valid reasons that we shouldn't just be sticking to the status quo because science changes all the time like we're learning so much more all the time and i run into this problem all the time with skincare you know i i i, I keep on getting the same advice and i'm like the science is like you're you're speaking about science that was relevant 10 years ago mm-hmm. you know you're just it's clearly like you're not staying up on the research and it, it can be really frustrating but you know they look at what I'm saying. And they think it sounds woo woo. And it's not, it's, it's fully not. (laughs) Yeah. And I
1: think that part of it though, too, is it's once again, there's a a lack of insight into the fact that they may not know some things and there's a resistance to it because I think they see so many threats coming around from people who want to be that expert when they're the ones that have gone through all the training and, and, you know, all of the years of suffering and toiling so there is definitely that, they feel that threat. It's a turf war in a, to an extent. Turf war, I think, does cause some people not to be open to other people's, you know, the fact that they may be wrong and that yeah. they may be able to learn from it. And and I think that for me, several years ago, that's the realization I came to is like, is really like, oh my gosh, there's so much in medicine that I do not know and have never even known that this was a possibility. And, sure. And I owe it to my holistic health practitioner friends who have, helped educate me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and all the books I've read now that have shown me just how much I don't know.
0: You know, just to kind of go back to more of the, you know, the plastic surgery end and the skincare end of of this. You mentioned parabens that you don't like parabens, you know, you you lean towards clean beauty. It sounds like clean skincare. What how do you tell people to take care of their skin? You know, obviously you probably get a lot of people who come in and you know they have concerns about their skin. What what do you tell them to do for their skin?
1: Yeah, I try to encourage them first of all to I mean the first thing really is is to start by just taking care of their skin. So, you know, something like parabens is something that you know, that's not like the first thing. It's kind of like sure. if somebody is trying to change their diet and the first thing you say is eat organic. It's like, no, 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 no. The first thing is to try to add more fruits and vegetables. Yeah, like you there's a lot organic. of steps before you get yeah. there. <laughs> you can't afford organic. Just add those fruits and vegetables first, you know? And so I kind of look at that with, let's say, parabens as well. It's like, okay, the first thing would be to take good care of your skin. So to cleanse every morning, to apply an antioxidant serum, and then ideally a sunscreen, uh, especially if you're going to be out that day. At night, I recommend to cleanse the skin, to apply ideally a retinoid if your skin can tolerate it, like a retinol. If your skin can't tolerate it, then maybe look at either growth factors or peptide-type creams. Uh, And then to moisturize as you... So really, I always start with kind of those bare basics, you know, you want to wash your makeup off at night and those types of things. And then once people are past that, then we start looking at some of these other things of like, okay, what type of sunscreen are you using? You know, is there oxybenzone in it? Is there octinoxate in it? Ideally, if you can get off of that, that would be better. You know, are you using spray sunscreen on your children? You know, Mm -hmm. ideally try to avoid that.
0: We did a pretty extensive episode on sunscreen recently, so make sure to give that a listen if you haven't already. But just to clarify what he's talking about here, he mentions a few ingredients of sunscreens that we definitely consider questionable for health reasons and the environment. Instead, we always encourage people to find options with zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. As for spray, many groups have encouraged avoiding the use of them as it makes the ingredients airborne and therefore breathable. And since these ingredients are made for topical use only, that obviously comes with some potential health risks.
1: If they're not using a sunscreen at all, I don't wanna jump to that right away because once again, it's like pushing organic and somebody who doesn't even eat fruits and vegetables at all. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's being realistic and then it's taking those steps towards better health. And and also part of it is trying to encourage them to take those steps that they're gonna see a result from right away you know, give them those little wins initially and so that that they can feel better and and feel like they're on the right track.
0: Sure. You know, that's an interesting point about giving them little wins. I think I've kind of started trying to see both sides of it. I think for so long, I was like, you have to play the long game. You have to play the long game. I don't care about quick fixes. I'm like, that's such a short-sighted way to you know, treat your skin and I do think that there is truth in that, but to your point, you know, people do need rewards otherwise they're not going to do it. <laughs> you know.
1: And that's that's the whole idea of botox honestly is that yeah. It's become the number one cosmetic treatment in the history of the world because you get this quick fix so quickly and you see it so quickly and so easily. And so, you know, I think that it it just is that. I think that, you know, we're here to help people feel better about themselves, but also look at it realistically and what does a person need to to better themselves and to improve the quality of their life. And so for me, really, that's the end thing is like, if I can help people feel better about themselves, be healthier and improve their quality of life, then I've done my job.
0: Sure. Do you give people Botox?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the number one treatment in my office is Botox. Sure.
0: How does how does a holistic plastic surgeon approach Botox? Is it just you know being it like in moderation? Think, yeah, how do, you you know, do it
1: exactly. It's basically you know I I so I do it, but I also have four trained expert injectors in my office who do it, and they're mm-hmm. all very conservative. You know, with Botox, you know, it's not like you can. Re- I mean, you can overdo Botox, and people look kind of weird after that, but it wears off, so it's not you know that you know, horrible. It's filler that's more of the issue is when you're injecting people's cheeks and their lips and they want these huge kind of overplumped looks. We just don't do that in my office, you know, and if we don't feel that it's right for you, you know, Hey, you can go somewhere somewhere else. They will, if they want, that's up to them, but it's just, it's not what we do.
0: Sure. You know, we've talked uh, probably a lot of of changes that you'd like to see in the industry, but you know, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that really it it bothers you about this industry that you would like to see improve, and how so?
1: I think that you know we've talked about social media, and I think it's so really now people are finding their plastic surgeons on social media. You know, it used to be yellow pages, and it went to websites, and now really it's all about social media and. Unfortunately, there's just so much out there that's just glorifying the surgery, and so many surgeons that are using it to try to make themselves a celebrity. You know, and I mean, how many I see so many pictures of plastic surgeons taking their shirts off, showing their abs and stuff like that. It's just, it's I don't know. I I I think that really in the end, it's funny because I I have more followers I think than most other plastic surgeons in the country, and uh, I haven't taken my shirt off once. (laughs) I think part of it is. Part of it really is I wish that people would get back to the basics of, you know what, we're here to take care of people. We're not here to try to get more followers. And if you put your stuff out there to help take care of people and give them good advice, you'll probably get more followers than you would if it's all about just the style of it and look at this great car that I drive and all of that.
0: What do you do for your own health? What do you do for your own skin? What's your routine? You know, products included, treatments included, but also lifestyle. How do you take care of yourself?
1: Okay. So for me, it really is kind of this whole holistic multifactorial approach. So over the last many years, I continue, continue to try to improve my diet, but I, am n- I don't eat a perfect diet. <laughs> and, and I think it's important for us to realize that sometimes we just need to splurge. And if your kids want to go out for ice cream, you can go with them and that's fine. You know, one thing that I've changed recently that as I'm getting older, I mean, I'm not 50 yet, but I'm getting to that direction is I've started doing yoga. And also during the quarantine, I took some time to start meditating, which I really hadn't done much of before. And so it's some of these practices now that I'm trying to get more into and learn more about that I think is going to be really helpful for me personally, as I get older, because honestly, I don't want to be two things. I don't want to be that surgeon that keels over and dies in the operating room at the age of 60. And I don't want to be that guy sitting on my couch, retired, you know, out of shape and stiff and sore on multiple medications. Like I want to be that guy that is with my wife, climbing mountains when I'm 65, traveling around the world and hanging out with my grandkids. And so it's all about how do I get there?
0: Yeah. Longevity is kind of the core of all we talk about here. So I, I can appreciate that. And I also very much appreciate you coming on today and talking. this was such an illuminating conversation. I am blown away by some of the things that you revealed to me. I clearly have a lot to learn in this space and I am so excited that you were uh, my introduction to it. So thank, well, thank you.
1: you. Well, I appreciate what you're doing and thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Hey guys, just popping back in here to say thanks for joining us this week at Clean Beauty School. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you're looking for more beauty content or just wellness content in general, don't forget to check out our website, mindbodygreen.com, our Instagram, mindbodygreen, and of course our parent podcast, the Mind Body Green Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks again. See you next week.